This is a Queensland Department of Education podcast. Hi, my name is Virginia Bowditch from the Department of Education. In this podcast series on dispute management, we talked three principles about dealing with conflict. Even our most experienced school leaders are sometimes challenged by conflict situations they face in the school environment. Where can a school leader go when they have exhausted all the strategies they can think of? Our guests today are Megan Rogers, Principal Highfield State School, and Peter Johnston, Dispute Mediator from the Department's Principal Complex Matters Referral Team. Megan and Peter will talk about some of the most complex conflicts they have encountered and the services available to support school leaders in responding. Thanks for joining me, Megan and Peter. If we'll start with you, Megan, can you give us a quick outline of your career in education? I've been a a principal with the Department of Education now for 20 years, predominantly in primary schools, commencing in Band 5 schools and um, now currently in Band 10 schools, with some P10 schools along the way. Two years in that time, I was um, working in an international uh, setting for Education Queensland International in the Middle East and uh, have now been in three band 10 or level six principal positions since 2011 and and most of those positions were in rural areas and then moving into the urban areas where the bigger schools were. Without revealing identities, can you tell us about a couple of the more complex or difficult conflicts you have dealt with in your career as a principal? I think the, the most complex situations that I've been in as a principal is when it's not just myself that's in, involved but the whole school somehow gets involved in the context of what is going on, whether it be the PNC or whether it be just a particular parent in one of the communities in which I have worked as a principal. You know, it was a bickering community and they brought their issues from out of school to the school where a contractor won a tender for a large job at the school and they thought, with no knowledge of that particular trade, that the quote was too high and shouldn't have been accepted by the school. The school had had followed the procurement policy and conflict of um, interest processes had all been followed, so the school was at no no fault and neither was a contractor. But infighting occurred around two particular groups in the community and there were claims of slander from one group to the other and the school was caught up in the middle. Really, it was their issue outside, but the school ended up having to deal with it. The resolution in that particular case was not ideal. It impacted all of the staff at the school. And to this day, there is still a great divide in that community that exists, and that's well over 10 years later. Interesting, it was a community bringing their issues into the school. Another example is on relocation to a new school. I acquired a very complex case that had been ongoing. The school had history with a particular parent it required my constant, almost daily attention as a result of how the issue was dealt with at the height of, of the issue in the school. Prior to my arrival, the parent was one that would claim discrimination, the parent would claim lack of communication, the parent also claimed they had mental health diagnosis and we had to tiptoe, or well, we were expected by the parent to tiptoe around them, but yet they wanted everything that they wanted then and there. The parent was verbally abusive, verbally aggressive, and it had impacted the entire school the whole of the staff, students were aware of what was going on and the whole community seemed to know what was happening as well as the media being involved. It continued to be an an ongoing event for well over two years and it was the mental health of the staff 
that was hard to protect and shielding them from the unpredictable roller, roller coaster that the parent had placed the school on was very, very hard uh, as a principal for me to be able to manage. Megan, have you always felt fully equipped to manage these types of scenarios? And if not, why not? In some situations, yes, based on experience. It's not that hard to work some situations out and you can work with parents. Um, it's the really difficult ones that bring something new to the table that can always throw you as a principal depending on what it is that is coming to, coming towards you. You never experience everything as a principal and um, there will always be times when new situations come up no matter how long a principal's been in a role and no doubt there will be things that I haven't experienced before. As society changes and as parents change their attitude, I believe that we will need more assistance as principals as time goes on because we need to be able to keep up with the times but sometimes parents try to get ahead of us as well. And Peter, what can principals do should they feel a conflict has got to the point where they need the assistance of an external facilitator? There are lots of very talented and experienced principals out there, but as uh, Megan has sort of alluded to, they're often dealing with some, you know, phenomenally difficult and complex situations as well. And, and there are certainly circumstances we've seen where that, that external assistance is required. The Principal Complex Matters Referral Team, which is where I work, is one of the initiatives under the Principal Health and Wellbeing Program. So we offer, among the services that we offer, we include early resolution assistance and also mediation, which principals can call upon if, if needed. And both of those services are proving really beneficial to, to assisting principals to manage those complex disputes and relieving the stress that they create. Uh, early resolution uh, assistance is about providing real-time support to principals who are managing difficult conversations and, and dealing with difficult people. It's more or less a coaching process. So the principal will contact myself and we'll look at what has been done to date, uh, what could be done in the future, and come up with, I guess, a game plan where the, um, the principal continues to work on the matter, but as I said, with that external support and feedback. We also offer mediation as well, and that's about an external mediator or facilitator coming in and helping to uh, guide the difficult conversation. Obviously, that's a conversation the principal's still part of as well, but that mediator role helps them to not have to deal with managing the meeting. They can focus on the content. The mediator helps them to manage the process. What does a mediator do? Do they provide advice to parties? Do they provide a decision or a ruling? No, absolutely not. The role of the mediator isn't about decision-making or advice. The mediator assists the parties, firstly, to understand uh, what the key issues are, um, and often that's a, a difficult task in itself. It helps both the parties to explore the issues and, and delve into them in, in more detail and get a, a better understanding as to what's occurred, why it's occurred. They also help the parties to generate uh, some new options as to what might be the, the path ahead and also to do a little bit of reality testing about those options as well. So get them to think about what's achievable, what's workable, what's practical. So they're the sorts of things the, the mediator does. But no, what, one of the most important parts of being a, a mediator is maintaining that strict impartiality. And that's really critical to the mediator role. It's sometimes easier said than done, but um, that's uh, what the mediator is there for. And how does the mediation process usually work? Are there steps to the process or is it just a conversation? Yeah, that's an excellent question. One, one of the best things I think about mediation is that it has a structure. It's not just a, uh, a sort of rambling conversation. It does follow steps. And I think that often provides a lot of reassurance to, to parties. It's a logical, it's tried and tested structure. And it's been proven 
to work. So another thing I should mention is that the process actually starts before the meeting, before the parties come together. So we always engage in what we call an intake procedure, which is a process of you know, speaking to the parties individually before the meeting, just to make sure that we've got a clear understanding about what the issues of concern are and where they're coming from, you know, what the pain points are. So uh, that's even before the meeting commences. Once the meeting has commenced, we certainly give parties a chance to tell their story and to explain themselves. We develop an agenda. That's another important part of the process that helps us to keep the conversation on track uh, and, again, adds to that structure. And we use that agenda then to, to help the parties to foster their communication and, and ultimately to generate some some options. So yeah, it, it, is a, it is a clear process, it's a structured process, it's a managed process, and that gives, I think, a, a level of reassurance to people. Do parties always need to meet together in person to conduct mediation? No, not, not necessarily. It's sometimes actually not either possible or, or desirable for the parties to meet together in the same, uh, the same room. Um, so we certainly have options available to us. Um, sometimes we can do mediations via phone. Video conference is a technology that's available now. Sometimes we might even shuttle between the parties where we speak to one person and then speak to another and then back to the, the other party again. So there are options available. Sometimes there are power imbalances at play, which mean that it's, it's not you know, the best option to, to meet together. Sometimes the relationship is so bad and so damaged that the parties probably shouldn't meet together. So these are all issues and concerns that we can discuss with the parties prior to a mediation and come up with a, um, I guess, a, a plan in terms of how the meeting occurs that everyone's comfortable with. Does mediation always work to achieve a resolution for parties and how often is it successful? Well, the good news, Virginia, is that uh, all the mediations that we have uh, conducted under the Complex Matter Referral Team, uh, they have actually reached an agreement, which has been great. And I think that's been, you know, very helpful to the, to the, um, the principals and the schools that have, have taken part. In my experience, uh, having mediated for, you know, many years, it really depends upon the environment that you're working in. But, you know, you can usually expect a, some sort of an agreement rate of about 70 to 80% of matters that are mediated are going to be successfully resolved through, through the use of mediation. Sometimes that number's higher, sometimes it's lower, depending upon the context. But experience shows that you know, if people work through the process, more often than not, they will reach a positive outcome. The other thing I'd, I'd probably say is that even when an agreement isn't reached, parties often benefit from the dialogue. And even if they don't necessarily come to terms of agreement, by the end of the session, they often have a better understanding of what's going on. And, and that's beneficial also. And are cross-cultural issues sometimes an issue in mediation? Yeah, they absolutely are. You know, and, and I guess we're talking about cultural issues in terms of, of race and, and cultural background. And sometimes the communication gaps created by those cultural differences are really at the heart of the, the dispute. I've certainly seen that in, in many mediations that I've conducted. Our culture strongly influences our perceptions and how we see the world. I've certainly been involved in some very powerful mediation processes where the sharing of cultural perspectives, the, the breaking down of those cultural barriers has helped resolve conflicts, but has also had a profound impact on the parties in terms of uh, an improved cultural understanding. Should principals jump straight to mediation in all instances, or should they explore other options first? I think it's a good practice or a good principle in terms of managing conflict. I would always recommend early intervention, and more often than not, that is a principal uh, at least endeavouring to, to manage a situation on their own. If a principal can, we would suggest that they get in early and try and manage the conflict themselves. 
try and deal with things as early as you possibly can and they won't deteriorate and they won't escalate. We can certainly, as I said before, offer assistance and advice if people are lacking the confidence through that early resolution assistance program. So if there's a principal that has any concerns or, or hesitancy in terms of trying to, um, to deal with their dispute, we're only a phone call away. So my advice here, get in early as, pos- as early as possible. Conflict does have a tendency to escalate if it's ignored and the more it escalates, the harder it is to resolve. Great. Thanks, Peter. Megan, from your experience, what benefits do you see mediation bringing to a principal dealing with a parent or carer or other conflict? I would hope that using a mediator would mean that the length of time that all parties involved under stress is shortened and hopefully reduce the the severity of the situation that everyone has found themselves in. Finding a path forward for each party would be the priority as quickly as possible and if a mediator can assist with that, then that would be the ultimate goal. I think the school's reputation in a lot of these situations is also um, closely monitored by people who um, have heard of what is going on or are involved in what is going on. The staff's reputation and also the emotional well-being of staff um, is something that needs to be considered um, of utmost importance when a school is going through a point of turmoil or something is going on that is upsetting the normal routine of a school. The principal's health and well-being emotionally in particular, um, needs to be considered. So the earlier a mediator can come in, uh, the more benefit there will be for those who are, who are involved, including that principal who's sitting there alone quite often dealing with the situation. Thanks for joining me, Megan. Thank you very much. And thanks to you too, Peter. Thanks, Virginia. It's been great to be involved. You have been listening to a Queensland Department of Education podcast. The Department of Education acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands from across Queensland. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, as they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture, and hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.